everything from the laundry detergent you're using in the clothes to just going outside and playing and what you're exposed to particulate wise. And in general, we believe the body's very resilient, but you do need a place to detoxify. And the more we can make our indoor air more like the outdoor air in general, that's going to be better because our indoor air is significantly worse on average than what you're going to find outside. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len and I'm excited to have as my guest today, David Milburn. David currently serves as the VP for the Young Trust, a tech-focused VC firm, and he's the CTO of Hypoallergenic Air LLC, or Hypo Air for short. And David spent 10 years at HypoAir solving some of the world's worst air quality issues. And that's for a variety of clients ranging from aerospace manufacturing facilities to hospitals in Brooklyn during the COVID crisis. And over the last decade, he's assisted thousands of business owners, homeowners, and biohackers in all walks of life to solve their unique air quality challenges as some of you may know, I was at the biohacking conference a few weeks ago, and that's how David and I met. And I'm super excited for him to be on the show today because air quality is extremely important, often overlooked. And the secret this week is you can sanitize the air in your home. So welcome, David. Great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I love parenting. I think it's so important. And I love what you guys do. We're combining two of my favorite conversations here, parenting and air quality. So (laughs) fantastic. Yeah, no, air quality is something which I think the parents, people who listen to this podcast, they are already aware that playing defense can be really, really important. And if they're anything like Cass and I, when we first started to become aware of how important the environment was, one of the first things we did was buy air filters. It was recommended and It just seemed like something that was important. And back then, there weren't so many options. Now there's so many more. And so for our parents who are listening, who may be aware that air quality is important, they probably are, but and they may have something in their house that's doing something. As you're thinking about parents and just aside from just a general understanding of the air we breathe is important, can you talk a little bit about why it might be even more important than some other things like focusing on quality food, focusing on EMFs, which we've done a number of podcasts on. Can you talk just a little bit from your perspective about air quality and where does it rank in terms of really how important is it? Sure. Yeah, I think air quality is important often because it's so overlooked. And as far as how it ranks, I think it's going to be an individual experience because our bodies all react to the environment differently. And so you could have a family of five and one person in your house is very reactive to what's in the air. So it can be very complicated. What's in our air is often invisible. You, for the most part, can't see it, smell it, 
feel it, but in many cases, it can have a profound impact on you or someone in your house. And just starting the journey of maybe I should have something to mitigate what's in my air is a great first step. Uh, because as long as you're thinking about, okay, what am I introducing into my air? What are the sources of possible contaminants? How could I or someone in my family be reacting to what's in the air? I think all that is just a wonderful part of the journey. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of like EMFs in the sense that it's generally invisible, right? That you, if, if you have a smoke condition, that's easy sure. to pinpoint, but often that's not the case. Sure. And, and we as an air purifier company, we would rather mitigate the sources of air, con- air quality contaminants than necessarily have you put a bunch of equipment in your house. So if you can reduce where these contaminants are coming from or stop the problems from becoming an issue in the first place, all that is just as important as finding ways to have ongoing mitigation of what's in your air. Um, so it's, it's a full picture. You know, we don't want you to open your windows during the middle of a wildfire or rush hour. You know, we don't want you to introduce contaminants into your house where you can help it. But many of our clients, you know, you live in a multifamily house. You can't control what your neighbor's doing. All of us live in homes with some sort of age or mold or, you know, some sort of off gassing. And then what we often like to address is the people in the house are, in many cases, the biggest sources of contaminants as well. So, you know, it is a very dynamic environment, but, uh, you know, taking some proactive steps to understand it is, is just a great first step. And it's not something to be scared about or overly worried about, but you can be intentional with it. And depending on your situation, there's a lot of tools to practically address it. Perfect. And since you highlighted that the people in the house could be a source, mm-hmm. often a source, so in what way do you mean? Well, we're just always, our bodies are, you know, we're releasing various forms of bacteria, biological contaminants. So with any kid, as soon as they go to any sort of school or play, they're, they're bringing things back into the home with them. You know, uh, the things, you know, our skin, everything. We're, it's just a very dynamic situation where everything from the laundry detergent you're using in the clothes to just going outside and playing and what you're exposed to particulate wise. And in general, we believe the body's very resilient, but you do need a place to detoxify. And the more we can make our indoor air more like the outdoor air in general, that's going to be better because our indoor air is significantly worse on average than what you're going to find outside, even if the outside air isn't very good it's still better than what's in your house in many cases. No, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because I was going to ask you in terms of like on a one to 10 scale, of course, it depends on where you live. I mean, at one point we lived in Brooklyn, maybe about a block and a half away from the BQE. Right. So sure. we knew there was constant stuff coming off the highway. And I'm guessing the air quality there compared to where we are now was much worse. Mm-hmm. But even with that, even if your outdoor air quality isn't ideal based on what you're living near, the average indoor air quality compared to average outdoor, it's a significant difference, correct? Yeah, I believe the I think it's the CDC has averaged about two to five times worse indoors. That's a statistic you may have heard for a while. Um, I don't know how up to date that is, but it is significantly worse. And both the indoor air and outdoor air, it's not just like a fixed number. There's a lot of factors. Some are better, some are worse. Um, Some are going to change throughout the day. Like you mentioned in your old place where you're living, the air quality outside, um, say like the VOC or particulate level could be maybe 50 times worse during rush hour than it is two hours before that. So it's going to be changing a lot kind of throughout the day. 
But yeah, the indoor air, you know, we tend to seal up our homes really tight. And part of that's for energy efficiency. Part of it's just practicality. In many cases, we have no countermeasures. So outside, there's lots of things that are going on to purify the air. Inside, there's often very little, if anything, other than maybe bringing in some more outside air to kind of mix with the indoor air and make it a little bit better. Normally, there's not much else than that that is mitigating, say, the off-gassing from furniture, paint, cooking, you know, whatever it is, um, the people, the biologicals, mold, you know, all these things uh, like to live inside of our homes and grow. Or in the case of something like uh, chemicals, they're always mixing in the air. So. Right, so when you're outside, Mother Nature is taking care of doing what it needs to, uh-huh. whereas indoors, you may just be limited to a house plant. Yeah, if you have AC, you've got a vent somewhere that may or may not be introducing cleaner air. Uh, you could have things going on in the AC system or your heater. But yeah, a lot of times we're just trapping what's inside and keeping it inside. So, mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, if a parents listening and just wondering, okay, what, what might be the signs? And of course, I know it's going to vary from person to person. Some, And generally speaking, the children who are uh, for the parents who are listening are probably more sensitive, more maybe perhaps with immune issues and the like, and just let's just say just generally more sensitive kids. If what have you heard or seen from clients you've worked with in, in terms of how the poor air quality can manifest in symptoms with the family members and particularly sure. the child? And I know that's going to vary based on whether it's mold yeah. or, or what type of contaminant. But just generally, what, what would you say are red flags that there might be a, an air quality issue? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like you said, the diversity of symptoms that we've seen over the years is pretty incredible, especially with something like mold, mold toxicity. It can play itself out in things like memory loss, brain fog, tingling of the skin, you name it. It's been pretty incredible. But I would say one of the biggest red flags is, okay, you've been gone for two days. You, you're visiting somebody and you come back. How does it feel in your house? Our noses become blind to what we're around all the time. So if you step away and come back, they're one of the most sophisticated ways that we can interact with our air, even though they are limited. So if you come home and it just feels musty, you just kind of feel stuffed up. A lot of people describe they go to an office and every time they go into their work, their office, they just feel lethargic or you know, lack of energy, and certainly any type of respiratory symptom. You got a stuffy nose, you know, red eyes, like all those kind of things. And one of the things as parents that we love, sleep, you know, is directly affected by a lot of those uh, symptoms. And so trying to mitigate your exposure, get good sleep. Those are the things that we would love to see as you clean your air. We would love to see those things improving. But yeah, if you find yourself, okay, every time I walk into that one room, it feels musty, smells musty. It I sneeze. I don't like it. You know, it can it mm-hmm. can put out in a lot of ways. But I mean, I've traveled overseas quite a bit in my past, and I remember one place where I stayed. Every time I would go into that room, I would sneeze every time, and uh, sometimes many, many times. And so it was very obvious uh, in a case like that that oh, I'm stepping into this environment. Something is affecting me. It could be a lot of things, but you know, it could be very obvious. It could not be obvious. So you know, it's it's very individualized, and we hear that a lot where you've got one person out of all the roommates or one child mm-hmm. that every time they take a shower in that bathroom, every time they sleep in that bedroom, they're having a, a very unique experience. And air quality could be one factor of many, but it, it's an important thing to consider. And 
depending on how you measure it, about one swimming pool's worth of air is breathed every day. So there's a huge quantity of air that you're breathing in. And with that air, you're breathing in a lot of the toxins. And so when we think about drinking a bottle of water and what might be in that water, it's a little bit easier for us to comprehend, I think, than, okay, what's in my air that I'm breathing in all the time? And how could that be affecting me? And how could it be, say, overwhelming the body's natural defenses? Or how could you, in some cases, be allergic to that substance? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, when you really think about it in terms of, okay, what are the absolute essentials for life, right? So food, water, but air has to come first. That's the one that we absolutely are bringing in most as well as it's just something that in terms of where in the home, I just want to going back to something you just mentioned because it's fresh in my mind. The reality is it can vary not only from person to person, but from room to room. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about where people are spending the most time, clearly the bedroom has to be Mm -hmm. incredibly important. After that, though, is there any more problematic rooms like bathrooms or garages or basements? Yeah, a lot of the ones you mentioned have, on average, very bad air, possibly even worse than the bedroom. But if you're going to start somewhere, we do say start the bedroom. You know, try to create a safe place where you're sleeping just to give your body a place to recover, to naturally detoxify. You don't want your bedroom to be, say, covered in mold or very dusty. You want to get good sleep. As parents, that matters. (laughs) I did not get good sleep last night. My three kids took turns waking us up. (laughs) But um, we want good sleep. And so the bedroom is a really important place. But yeah, so any place with humidity, so leaks, you know, someplace where you have a shower, so there's a lot of humidity, that's going to be a, a place that's really prone to develop mold, um, which can be something that we see a lot as one of the driving factors for people's um, air quality in their homes is mold exposure. And then, you know, places like kitchens obviously have the different types of contaminants. You know, you're bringing in food, bacteria, cooking from the stove, cleaning chemicals. So there's lots of different things in different parts of the home. You know, certainly someplace like a basement that's really sealed up, you know, maybe it's not completely sealed up, you know, you could have lots of different, you know, particulate issues, mold, you know, you name it. So lots of factors to consider. But um, yeah, the bedrooms where we say, just start there. If you're gonna start somewhere, start there. And then the other thing is, if your home does have AC, a heater, a vent system somewhere, that's an often overlooked source of both the contaminant and a potential to improve your air quality. So if you're overlooking, say, the maintenance on your AC system or heater, Mm. and it kicks on occasionally, and every time it turns on, you get a headache, or, you know, that's a bad sign. Um, Because that's a damp, dark environment. That's that's basically the distribution system for air throughout your house. So if you can tackle a good, healthy AC system, a lot of times it's going to lead to a pretty good, healthy home. Not yeah, everyone has that, obviously, but and there's a lot of varieties of what that might look like in your house. But you know, those hidden environments that are moving the air is a really important place not to overlook. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, if you're just trying to say, okay, where can there be contaminants? Where can there be issues? That's a huge, huge suspect. Yeah. Something, something absolutely to look at. Yeah, you get a damp, dark environment. You got these cooling coils. The mold loves that, and now you're. You, at, at the very least, you're using it as a, a mode of transportation, you know, right. for whatever is in your air to get, get around your house. 
And then that's also one of your first lines of defense, say, from what's outside. So if there's, you know, rush hour outside, heavy particulates, wildfire, pollen, you know, you do have some basic filters on your AC system. And if those haven't been changed in a while, that might be a good place to look. If no one's peeked inside your ducts for a while, that might be a good place to look. Yeah, no, the maintenance is key, often overlooked. I know we often fail to remember to change those filters until it's absolutely obvious that they need to be uh that they need to be replaced. And if you're focused on kids and surviving the day, your AC system maintenance schedule is probably not top of mind. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, right. we all we all struggle with those. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I know there's so many different types of contaminants, but I know with our uh, listeners, a lot of times the mold is the dominant issue. It's something that comes up over and over. It's a very common thread. But then, of course, in the last couple of years, it's been about viruses, right? People being really super concerned with viruses. Mm -hmm. So again, from your perspective, I know both are at play, both are issues, but it almost seems like the focus on viruses has taken attention away from mold, which can be so insidious in terms of the damage sure. especially for young kids what what, what are you seeing because i know you were kind of knee deep in helping people to help improve their environment given given covid and everything that was happening sure. but what are your observations yeah i mean uh, one of the silver linings of this crazy last couple of years is some people have taken a, a a look at air quality for the first time and that includes uh, commercial buildings and hospitals that maybe have never even Uh, done a really serious look at that. And the result is going to be a benefit for other types of air quality contaminants as well. Um, Obviously, viruses have been talked about a lot and top of mind for a lot of us this last um, 18 months or so. But uh, yeah, our our company actually has tests on coronavirus dating back to about 2016. And we were doing presentations with hospitals where they just didn't care about the airborne spread of H1N1, MERS, you know, you name it. And uh, or even things like MRSA staff, it was hard to convey the aspect of air quality and how these bacteria and viruses can spread. And then with our technologies, we're also able to achieve uh, surface kill rates. And so um, one of our units was probably the first air purifier in the world to be tested against the SARS-CoV-2 virus because it can kill it on a surface. Um, So that is a unique aspect of some technologies out there. And that's a huge development, right? In terms of you're not just purifying the air, but to be able to actually have something that can get to the surfaces yeah. is, is incredibly powerful. It's a different way of thinking, and it's what happens outside. So we're just trying to do that inside. Um, so nothing that we're producing is uh, synthetic or proprietary. We're just trying to replicate what happens outside. And uh, But yeah, with something like mold, like you, to your point, uh, we see mold impacting the day-to-day lives of our clients on a much larger scale than something like the spread of virus in a home. If, you know, when we were working with a hospital, you know, we're having very different conversations. You know, it's a very dynamic environment. You don't want whatever the person in the room has to get to the doctor, the nurse, or the person in the room next to them. Your home is a bit different. You know, obviously you could have guests, your kids are going to come home and they're going to be sick and they're going to sneeze in your face. And, you know, there's all kinds of different challenges there. But, you know, we work with schools and, you know, places where you have a lot of strangers mixing. Um, that's a different conversation in the home. And in the home, I would say things like mold do take a precedence over, say, a viral reduction. Right. And going, I have to 
focus on something that you mentioned with hospitals. What was the resistance? Is it just a an idea that, hey, it's just not a big problem? Was it more of a cost concern? Yeah, there's a lot of factors there. I would say one of them is a very a slow innovation where they become fixated on, say, six log reductions, where a single point in time, we have killed everything on that door handle. Problem is, we only do that once a day or once a week. Well, okay, now it's a dynamic environment. How many times is a nurse or doctor coming into that, out of that room during one day? What are they breathing? What is the person with MRSA right now? How, how are they spreading that MRSA into the environment? Right. And is there any mitigation happening at that point? In a lot of cases, there wasn't. But we've spoken in years past to hospital infection control directors who say, you know, we're not really that interested in reducing our rates of infection in the hospital. And that could be one out of 20 people that go into a hospital get an infection from the hospital. So we've been pretty astounded in the past at the reactions from some of the medical community, especially for hospitals. A lot of times private medical facilities of any type um, are a bit more forward thinking because you have less decision makers. Um, But yeah, I mean, we'll see. So like one of our units or various units, they might cost for a hospital maybe seven, $800 on the high end, but instead they're spending like $80,000 for a UV R2D2 robot that they have to pay two people full time to wheel around into rooms. And it's like, well, why not have something that's constantly <laughs> improving the air instead of this thing that maybe goes in that room once a week. So um, just a kind of a unique thinking, uh, yeah. some of those things, but yeah. And, And for a lot of businesses and large organizations, it's been tough with air quality in the past, where in many cases, they're not thinking about the people or the staff. They're thinking about the bottom line. And, you know, you've got this big bloated organization. It's hard to make a decision about something that's less measurable, less visible. So something like air. And then the other issue is if you do do something about it, it's almost that you may be admitting that there was a problem yes. to begin with, yes. which also we have that as well. <laughs> yeah, I've sat down with some of the nicest hotels in the world and they're like, we don't have a mold issue, but tell me how your units work with mold. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we, we've dealt with that in the past where it's like, yeah, we work in this, you know, this big named organization and we can't ever say it uh, because they, you know, they don't want to say that, oh, we've reduced our bad situation because they don't want to say that they have a bad, bad situation in the first place. And just as a, a quick travel tip, you know, I, I get asked that a lot. One of the things I would say is just ask the hotel if they do anything for air quality, because a lot of times they do, but only in part of the hotel. And they don't want to advertise it because they don't want to say, hey, this floor is really clean and hypoallergenic. And the rest of the hotel is not. But if you ask, they may have a lot of, say, of rooms that are specifically designed to be more hypoallergenic. They may have equipment like ours in there. They may go above and beyond with what types of chemicals they use, but only if you ask. So mm-hmm. That's interesting. That gives me a, a good tip for to use next time I travel because I usually bring a portable unit that I'll put in a hotel room, but never really thought about asking that question because, yeah, a certain wing or a certain floor can make a big difference. Yeah. And we have clients for years. They've had our equipment and they never share it. They never advertise it. They never make it an option. And we're always like, what you just, you know, people want protection. They want to see you doing that, but they don't want to give the impression that they they're not doing it throughout their whole hotel. 
so they don't even say it. <laughs> so uh, they kind of leave it for the you know the problem people that are are willing to ask yeah um, about it. I'm always curious about different locations and how they may differ because like I, I was curious about hospitals only because I'm always shocked how hospitals have pretty lousy processes for things. And you would think if there's one place that would have really good processes would be a hospital. So something like air quality, you would think that that would be a big priority, but it very well may not be. But if you compare hospitals Mm -hmm. to, let's say, the average business Mm -hmm. to the average home, and then let's say the average school, and I know this is really tough, it's broad generalizations, but I've been amazed how horrible schools can be for things like EMF, et cetera. What, sure. what, what's your general take on comparing those different locations? Is there any notable difference? I think in the last year, the conversation has changed a lot. Um, say, for instance, dentist. Around June of 2020, it was crazy the amount of dentists that were reaching out to us and trying to scramble to buy air purifiers that were germicidal. And I would venture to bet that most dentists now have a, an air purifier that at least has some sort of germicidal claims in most or all of their patient operatory rooms. And that was not the case a year before. Um, with something like schools, they are often placed in centrally located locations. So you have more traffic pollution. You could have aging buildings. You know, the EPA has done direct studies on ventilation schools and performance on math. So it has a direct impact on how our brains are able to focus and perform. And so, uh, but as far as who takes it seriously or not, I mean, I think you just got to ask because a lot of it's come down to individuals that either led the charge and helped with that innovation or didn't. Uh, But I mean, at the height of kind of the COVID panic, probably around March, 2020, you know, I had directors of multiple hospitals. One person manages multiple hospitals, infection control, Googling like air quality and finding our website and like sending a thing and saying, do you guys have, you know, UV light? And it's like, well, we do, but that's about 40 years old. So let's talk about maybe what else is available. And, you know, this is the person in charge of multiple hospitals. And now it's a pandemic and they're scrambling on Google to find something. And so, yeah, that's, that's been the case of a lot of facilities. We work with some of the largest hotels in the world, you know, you name it. And a lot of times they, they do very little, but yeah, it's worth asking about, I would say. And for the right businesses or hospitals or hotels, it could be such a competitive advantage mm-hmm. if you do something about it and promote it, because I think right. people would get why you know, right. that that's an important thing. Right. And, and the, the trend is, is significantly different in the last two years and the last five years than it was 10 years ago when we were starting out. So yeah, there's been improvements there. Okay. No, great. I appreciate that. Now for a family, is there any noticeable major difference between the air quality inside a home versus inside a car? Like is, is a car environment better or worse? No difference? I would say cars are, are in some ways just a mobile house <laughs> in the sense that they've got an AC system that can be prone to mold. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of the same challenges there. The added challenge is that now you're on the road and there's pollution there. Most homes do have some filtration systems built into it. So that's good. So that's, that's a first step. 
but you can take that further with other units. There is a lot of gimmicky car stuff out there. So I would, I would steer clear of some of that, you know, little cup holder things for $20 or something, <laughs> probably not doing a whole lot, or it's just producing ozone or something in the, in the car. And, and so sometimes that's maybe worse than nothing in some cases, but the cars have similar challenges, but now you're, you're out and about, but they can have mold growing in them just like a, a home can. Yep. No, that makes sense. And I think with a typical, whether it's a home or a car and a parent trying to figure out what can they do, you're right. There's so many devices out there and a lot of them, it may make you feel like you're doing something, but it's really important to understand what these devices are doing. And right now there are a lot of options in terms of something to improve air quality. What would you suggest as something that parents should at least at what questions are useful for them to ask? to better understand what exactly are these units doing and whether it's a good fit for what they're looking to accomplish, which I think most of our parents are looking just to let's mm-hmm. play defense. You may have a more kid who's got more allergies and you're, you're just trying to improve that overall quality. What questions would you have them ask themselves or to ask anyone that they're looking uh, for support from? Yeah, that's a good topic. And I don't know if there's a quick, easy answer on that. But I would say trying to identify your goals and then being, being very practical with how that device is claiming to achieve it, both upfront and ongoing. And I think our industry has often falls into oversimplifying and over-marketing. So oversimplifying the challenges and then kind of, you know, you take the same technology and then you change the name and it's like, okay. <laughs> You have super duper HEPA. (laughs) It's like, well, no, you don't. You know, it's just, you know, it's just fluff. Yeah. Some of that is just a journey of investigating. But yeah, I would say trying to identify what your goal is. So, like you mentioned, maybe your your kid has allergies. You know, one of mine has uh, pollen allergies. And so, with that in mind, you can look for a technology that specializes in that. Maybe you need a HEPA uh, product for someone that deals with pollen allergies. You know, that's a very particulate based. Something like HEPA is a kind of a third party rating system for the quality of a filter. You want to find a company that says, say, H12 HEPA, H11 HEPA, H13 HEPA. They want to actually say what they have versus I see a lot where companies will say such and such model, 30% faster, 30% quieter than what? <laughs> you know, like, and it's like, well, now you're just making claims that have no basis for you know, being relevant or information. So trying to find, you know, a measurable metrics of quality is is a good start. But yeah, trying to identify the technology that's going to achieve your goals, both on a uh, practical level, because you could spend tens of thousands of dollars and not even really achieve your goal, or you can spend very little and achieve your goals. And so, yeah, just being kind of wise about that. But there's no, I don't think there's necessarily an easy answer to that, but just trying to identify your goals and what technologies can achieve that practically for you. Yeah, and that's music to my ears because the idea of having a goal, something specific that you're going after, rather than just generally buying something, plugging it in and hoping it works. So goals are phenomenally important. Understanding what might be the root cause of whatever it is that you think might be an issue. So if you do live near a highway, okay, you have a cause there that you might want to do something specifically about. If you have ample evidence that there may be a mold issue, then okay, well, that's a root cause. And then that leads to very specific questions mm-hmm. uh, that you can ask, especially of 
someone who's selling something to help improve air quality. And and I would also caution um, spending too much money on testing air quality because most of the tests that you can afford, that I can afford, are minimal in their actionable data. And you can kind of just blow money on it. Most measuring devices for a home are not accurate. They're just not there yet. The technology just isn't there yet. We've used multi-thousand dollar commercial equipment that is really bad to measure air. It just doesn't work that well. So air quality is really complex. I have you know aerospace clients that have spent $15,000 internally testing in one room and not even found what they're looking for. So you can spend a ton of money. I see that a lot with, hey, I just spent $1,500 with this mold remediation company. Here's my report. What do you think? And it's like, well, it doesn't really say much. I'm sorry. You know, you have mold in your house. And we kind of knew that before. I mean, I prefer something like, you know, you can buy like a $3 humidity sensor on Amazon or something. And you can look for the environment that might cause mold before you go and spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on testing. So I would say focus more on mitigation and protection than, than testing with air quality. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you jumped ahead to a key question, which is, yeah, how could people measure? Because I know there's a lot that you can buy on Amazon, air quality and the like. And so you're just saying any of those, generally the accuracy is suspect at best. Especially things that are for general air quality, because there's like no such thing really. Or even things like you'll see uh, the term VOC, often capitalized VOC, um, or TVOC. So volatile organic compounds or total volatile organic compounds. I don't think you're going to be able to buy anything for less than $6,000 that even comes close to measuring VOCs. And even then, it's not going to be TVOC. If it's looking for a specific type of gas, then yes. Yeah, it can be accurate. Or if it's looking for a specific type of particulate, it can be accurate. But general VOCs and things like that, it's just not there yet. And as far as outdoor data, one of the things I like to recommend is Breezometer. Um, I hope I hope I pronounce it right. <laughs> you know, but uh, Breezometer, totally free. We have no affiliation. Instead of taking a, a physical sensor model to outdoor air quality, they take a an approach where you know most of the air quality you look at. If you look at outside data, they've got one weather station at one point in your city measuring air quality. Well, the air at your house is very different than that. And it could be very different an hour later. Um, so what Breezometer does is they take um, like satellite data, traffic data, all these known data points, and they guesstimate right now at your location based off of all these known factors, you know, topography, everything. This is probably what your air quality is outside. And if you take a look at that, well, maybe now's not a good time to go for a run or a play date. You know, maybe you should wait an hour or go somewhere else, you know, during that time versus you know the more activity that'd be another thing i might mention is the more activity the more you're breathing so if you're running on a road during rush hour you're consuming significantly more than if you're walking or if you're walking an hour before that so so it's activity as well as what's in your air um that can affect how much you're consuming and kids are even yeah as far as per for their smaller bodies how much they're consuming yeah, and I think even our local school system, they would have some 
index like that that they would check and and they would not have the kids exercising outside if the air quality was poor. And Um, I'm in Southern California here. So there's the Long Beach port, which may be in the news recently for a lot of of important reasons. Um, You know, they they called the, was it the diesel highway of death, I think. Horrible name. But you've got all these trucks leaving the port and there's basically a corridor um, up the freeway there that all the schools have significantly increased asthma rates. I want to say it's like 40% at least increased asthma rates. And so you've got just significant air quality environmental factors due to what's going on around that school. And that's an important thing to consider and what steps your school might be taking to do that. But in general, getting out to play in recess is a good thing. So, you know, like, let's not worry about it. But yeah, being proactive with at least understanding what's going on. And one photo I remember distinctly from COVID was... It was early on, San Francisco, wildfires, the sky is red, indoors closed, and we've got a CrossFit gym on the sidewalk downtown. You know, you've got the cars going by, apocalyptic sky, and they're exercising. And it's like, well, how much is this is kind of like defeating the purpose of what you're trying to achieve here because of what's going on right then? Maybe a different activity would be healthier. So <laughs> it can oh, the they, oh, they are committed. Mm-hmm. They, they are absolutely committed. No, uh, and, and going back to the idea of testing, again, let's moving it back indoors. If you're trying to get a sense, and let's say you have somebody who comes out, particularly with something like mold remediation, mm-hmm. you would never really want to have somebody come in and give you the report on how bad your mold situation is, who also does the remediation. So it'd be the same thing, right? If you have somebody who comes in who's yep. measuring air quality, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want it to be the same company that then yeah. is providing the solution. Yeah, that would be best. And I actually saw this week the best air quality mold remediation test report I've ever seen. It was fantastic. It was practical. It was detailed. He was looking at a leak from the bathroom, went through the floor and you know, visible mold here, the... You know, the material around the vent wasn't properly sealed. And he gave a lot of practical, actionable things that the homeowner could do. That was great. A lot of them I see, what they're going to give you in the report is, hey, you have mold. Here's the types of molds you have. Well, okay. But where is the mold? You know, is, are there humidity pockets from leaks, from water damage, from the way your building was built? And it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the quality of the home or the price, maybe I should say the price of the home or the newness, because we've worked with new skyscrapers in Dubai that were built not with mold in mind. So the, the, the way the humidity is and the pressure there on, on the Gulf, the mold is just flying through the walls and the ceilings. And they've got black mold everywhere. <laughs> it's just, it's a horrible mess. But that's from how the building was made. And so if you have someone that's an expert in that, that can give you good actual data on where it is, what you can do, that's great. But a lot of these mold remediation guys, they're just, they're taking some samples or something and they're saying, oh, you have mold. Now let's spend however many (laughs) thousands of dollars to tear everything apart. And it's like, well, maybe there's other ways to do it. Yeah, no, you want to avoid the conflict of interest wherever you can. There's a lot of inspection companies that just do the inspection. They'll give you the report Mm -hmm. and then it's up to you to decide what you might want to do. Because going to- Expert inspections are not, wrong. I don't want to give that impression, uh, sure. but I, I just see people spend way too much on 
testing that doesn't give them actionable data. But yeah, some of these inspections can give you a really good understanding of where the source of the issue could be. So, but yeah, just doing your research with that company and and someone that's unbiased is a great approach. Fantastic. And I guess going to today's secret in terms of this idea of sanitizing the air. So if people are thinking about, okay, I need something for the air quality. And you mentioned HEPA filters, right? Where you're actually filtering out particles that might be concerned from an allergy perspective, asthma, et cetera. But especially now with so much of what's toxic that's in the air, there's this idea that the particulates that are of concern are really super small, that a HEPA filter wouldn't even address that. So can you talk a little bit about what sanitizing means versus purifying or filtering? Sure. And um, so we we, uh, don't believe in any silver bullet technologies for air quality. Uh, We think there's a lot of tools for different situations. And something like HEPA is really good for some applications, but you could spend an absurd amount of money outfitting each room in your house with a HEPA purifier both upfront and ongoing. And if you had a mold issue, all it would be doing is sucking the mold spores in the air already into the filter and trying to trap them. It wouldn't be reducing the spread. It wouldn't be addressing the source. Um, in many cases, it wouldn't even be dealing with the toxins related to mold. So it can have its place. And we use them in the bedrooms for someone that's symptomatic. I mean, we have products. I've got one next to me, actually, that has a, a HEPA filter in it. But you know, we're going to use those as needed. Whereas something like polarized sanitization with ionization, you can actually kill mold on a surface and help reduce the growth of mold in the first place. So we do that with everything from commercial ice machines to large air handlers on top of of big buildings or your AC system or just your room where we can actually kill something like mold on the surface before it's producing spores and then deal with what's in the air as well. And that's the same with something like the virus conversation. If it's on a surface, if you have MRSA on a surface, if you've got you know, salmonella on a surface, we want to deal with that as well as what's in the air, not just try to suck it into a, um, a trap. So I think of HEPA kind of like a chain link fence. You know, It's going to stop things that are big enough that are trying to pass through it. But if that thing is not passing through the HEPA filter at that moment, it's not having any effect. So there's different ways of dealing with air quality contaminants. And you don't want to just trap. You also want to kill, prevent, reduce, and have an active role in the environment itself. That's our approach, at least. No, and that makes sense. And and, then that also doesn't negate the idea that, hey, if you have any reason to have an idea of what might be at the root, what known issues you have, obviously you focus there first and then work on having something that on an ongoing basis can help play defense as things come in and out of the house. And that's where adding some type of system or some type of device after you've addressed the the bigger issues. And as you pointed out, have done the maintenance Mm -hmm. that's so easy to overlook that can kind of give you a balanced attack, right? Of playing defense. And this is where some of the conversation gets really complicated because we're talking about particulates that are, you know, you might hear the term PM 2.5. That's particulate matter, 2.5 microns. So a human hair is around 50 to 100 microns in thickness. The human eye can see, I want to say around 40 microns. So once it gets too small, you can't even see it. We're talking 2.5. So um, this is way below what you can see, way below the thickness of a human hair. 
And then the smaller it gets from there, the less our natural defenses, just like a HEPA, less our natural defenses can trap it. So I'm less concerned with a dog hair floating in your air as I am with, say, the PM 2.5 from diesel exhaust or a dead mold spore. That's, those are the things we want to either clump them together to get them larger. We want to trap them. We want to get them out of the air. We want to address them before uh, you breathe them in. And the PM 2.5, I mean, generally those levels are just skyrocketing. Is that, I mean, just com- from a year after year perspective, it just seems like that is becoming such a huge global issue. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the, the areas that uh, is receiving greater attention because of its impact. So the PM 2.5, say related to cigarette smoking, is one of the main issues. And so it's these really fine particulates that are causing a lot of trouble uh, for us. And then they're also prone to be in cities. You know, there's a lot of sources of these particulates that are going out into the environment and then we're being exposed to those. And those sources are manufacturing, industrial, as well as just car exhaust. Yeah, a lot of, you know, things that are burning. You know, it's going to lead to it, but a dentist is going to be producing a ton of PM 2.5. So as they're working on your teeth, you know, that's producing a lot. So there's a lot of different types of sources, but a lot of the industrial man-made versions are are the ones we're looking at. Got it. All right. No, that's definitely helpful. And especially with dentists. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing the holistic dentists are going to be more aware and tuned into doing something than perhaps conventional dentists. And I know some dentists that go above and beyond on air quality, doing really innovative things, both with equipment like ours and other other steps that they're taking. So again, like asking people, what are you doing? Have you thought about this? Or did you just buy something on at Costco or something when you, right. you know, when you had to, you know? Um, have you thought about it? Like are you looking into it? No, I think that's one of the most powerful things I've heard in a while. Just just to ask that question, whether it's of a hotel, mm-hmm. whether it's of your child's school or even in your work environment. Just to ask the question can give you so much information. And if you don't like the answer, then there are some things that you can do to try to improve your own air quality. If you're working in an office, you could get your own personal unit that's at least where you specifically work that can at least help. It can't take care of the overall environment. And, And we know many schools, offices, other environments where it was one person advocating for the change, not necessarily even their role. Like it wasn't their job to do that. But maybe it was a person saying, hey, this is something we should consider. It's affecting me, or I know it's affecting the students or whatever it is. It's that one advocate, parent or otherwise, that caused the change in that facility. Fantastic. No, I think these are a lot of great suggestions. Parents can kind of get informed, ask the right questions, take some measures to play defense, doesn't have to break the bank. And you know, depending on what your situation is, the great news is that there are you know, some really good options out there. There's also just like, cause we've had a few episodes on EMF. There's also a lot of nonsense out there that can just give you a false sense of confidence that you're doing something. So ask questions, understand what you're buying, what it's doing, what's the technology. Uh, the more questions you ask, the more you can make really good informed choices for what's right for your family. Definitely. All right. Well, David, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time Air is just super important. And I think you've given a lot of really good practical suggestions. I really thank you for being on the show today. Great to be here. And yeah, we're always available for follow-up questions. We really think air quality is individualized, where it's not not one size fits all. There's not just one product, one solution. Your situation is different. So it's going to take some 
some digging to find the right fit for you. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll include HypoAir uh, links to uh, to David and uh, and his company. And again, there's just a lot that you can take control over within the environment. And that's an empowering thing. It doesn't have to freak you out. doesn't have right. to cause extra stress. There's no such thing as a perfect environment, but the power is that you can absolutely take practical steps. So again, thanks for sharing your, uh, your insights with our audience and I uh, really appreciate having you on today. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Want to learn how to avoid the 33 mistakes most autism parents make? Get your free training today. Visit autismparentingsecrets.com slash unstoppable.